You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartree.com. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Any time that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> On this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, I am joined by Josh McKellis of Big Show Game Calls and Big Show Productions. Josh makes a great coon squaller and turns out custom calls for all kinds of charitable organizations and uh, just does amazing work. You're going to get a tutorial from a coon squalling master on a sequence of calls that you should be using every time you walk into a tree if you want to see those two eyes looking down. Josh also produces a YouTube channel uh, called Big Show Productions, and he, he interviews some of the biggest names in competition coon hunting and has. You're going to want to check out Big Show Productions as well. One last thing that uh, is notable about Josh is he has been a heavy hitter in the PKC competition coonhound world, and that has given him access to a lot of these big names. And some of our uh, uh, previous guests on this podcast, Josh has also covered on Big Show Productions. 
world champion Lane Denny is on the Big Show team, and um, you're going to want to check that out. So you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Josh is insightful. He has figured out a lot of keys to getting access to property, so you're going to want to hear what he has to say about that. Before we get to the podcast, let's give a shout out to our buddies out at Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization. You've heard us talk about it, but they take military veterans from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you for a hunting adventure. Right now, as we speak, we're wrapping up a Freedom Hunters hound hunting adventure in Utah for mountain lions for two Freedom Hunters Warriors, sponsored by Freedom Hunters. We're also going to be conducting a uh, hog hunt down in Mississippi here. By the time this podcast comes out, that will be complete. And uh, you're really going to enjoy hearing the podcast from that adventure. So check out Freedom Hunters. You can check them out on our website by going to houndsmanxp.com and go to our links page and you'll find a link there for freedom hunters and you can start supporting america's heroes today you also need to check out our friends at dakota 283 dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds we're talking about military grade kennel crates Uh, i got got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house it is super heavy duty It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel, easily fits in the back of an SUV, or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit, and the way it's designed out of high-impact plastic, the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code hxp10 and get 10 percent off of your order all right folks that does it for our sponsors and we've got a hot track here and it's time to dump the box what do you call your youtube channel just big show uh, game big, calls big show productions big show productions okay yep. all right and the show is named to uh, be the later show to be named later <laughs> yeah we still haven't figured out a name for that one, so we just kept it right so, there. Yeah, so when are when are you going to figure out a name for the show? That's what I want to know. I'm guessing probably about the time I figure out what my wife's mad at me for. No kidding. Yeah, I'd say probably never. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I can understand that, maybe I'll be able to think of a name for that show. So have you guys ever interviewed anybody that didn't hunt a daggone walker in the show to be named later? You know, we focus on, I'm going to get down and, and try to get a hold of Ashley Oxendine and John Strickland and hunt with Big Country and get down there with them one day. Yeah. But, you know, it's just kind of focused on, you know, PKC winners and stuff like that. You know, that's kind of where our market is and who we're familiar with. So that's kind of what we stick with, you know. So 
and no offense to any of the other breeds, but there just isn't a lot of off-breed dogs that have won a lot of money. You know, there's a few. See, walk when you're a plot guy and a blue tick guy, then the walker is the off off-breed. Yeah, that's right. Off-breed is offensive. Yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> and we're we've got a license to be offended about anything now. Oh yes, it's it's, it's cancel culture. Yeah, we spoke about that plenty. I understand. Yeah. Well, folks, the voice you hear on the podcast is Josh McKellis from Big Show Game Calls and Big Show Production. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thank you, Chris. Man, I'm so glad that you, uh, you've you been putting out a lot of good material and a lot of good content on your social Thank media you. platforms and your, your YouTube channel and, and different things like that. So I wanted the hound dog world to find out who you were. Yeah. So tell us where you're at and, and uh, what kind of critters you're chasing around and why you hunt walker dogs. I know you've got a blue tick, so don't be shy. I do. I do have a blue tick. All That's right. right. Let us let us he have is, it, Josh. He's currently seated comfortably in front of the fireplace right now. Yeah. We're, we're all we're blue ticks usually end up. He's smart. <laughs> That's right. He is smart. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I live in uh, Mercer County, Missouri. We're about... Hall 10 miles south of the Iowa line in north central Missouri. And uh, I've got uh, tree and walker coon dogs, which some of them are technically crossbred, I guess. We have some of the trader stock that's got some blue tick in it. And, uh, yeah. you know, we mostly, you know, gear toward it's all coon dogs. And, you know, we mostly gear towards the competition side of it. So. Yeah. Well, that was a great interview, Josh. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for your time, man. <laughs> Well, is, that a, you know, is that all you got? I, I'm I'm just not that interesting, I guess, Chris. That's the only thing I can think of. But, <laughs> you know, we've been uh, we've hunted for uh, a lot of guys that are familiar with me are familiar with my brother. Uh, Jeremy owned Nocturnal Skipper and a couple other, you know, pretty high end name stud dogs. There we go. And now we're stuff. starting to get into the meat of this conversation. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the stuff that we have today, you know, Jeremy and myself still goes back to Skipper. And, uh, you know, we, we have incorporated some of the trader dogs and a few other outcrosses and stuff like that. And speaking of blue ticks, we actually bred, you know, one of our trader females to big country. When did you do that? Long ago. Uh, them pups, I believe are 17 or 18 months old and they're doing pretty well. Yeah. Are they winning yet? No, they're not really winning yet. Most of them have just started treeing their own coons. You know, they're not, they're far from polished products yet. You know, the thing about, the thing about. Everybody always, they, they'll they send me messages and ask me if big country pups are early starters. Yeah. And um, they're, they're really not. Most, no, most, no, the ones I've been around have not been super early starters. I mean, they're yeah. early, to, early to go hunting. Yes. Early to do some things right, you know, but as far as being polished dogs, they don't, they don't get that early. That The ones that I've been around, I'm sure there are some early starters. I mean, he's got enough pups on the ground now that, you know, you're going to have some that start pretty quick. And that that kind of hurts. That hurts a little bit because it does of the it PKC does. Super Stakes and things like that. But yeah, yeah. Winter Winter Competition Coon Hunter is going to figure out that it's better to have a solid finisher than an early starter. How many How many pups do you know of that won the Baby Stakes and still know and you know where they're at now? I don't even know. Once they hit five or six years old, what people don't understand about hitting the circuit really hard especially in pkc is it's hard on a dog you bet 
it is extremely hard on a dog going up and down the road. Uh, that level of competition, and nothing against UKC or ACHA or anything like that. They have marquee hunts, too. But, but to me, uh, the PKC circuit is probably the creme de la creme, you know, highest level you can get at some of these hunts. And so you're putting these dogs under so much stress when they're young. You know, I can even speak for the one that I hunt and the guys that see the YouTube stand channel and stuff like that are familiar with Con. And Con was... And I don't, I don't want to seem braggadocious here, but Con was the best one-year-old in the country mm-hmm. at his spring super stakes. He caught some bad breaks in the quarterfinals and stuff to keep him from going on, but, but he was dynamite. And I just knew that, you know, by the time he was five years old, it's hard telling how many major events I'd have won with him. And, but he just couldn't take the travel. He couldn't take the casts. And uh, by two years old, you were lucky to win a cast with him. Yeah, so tell tell me why you say he was the best, the best one year old in the country, highest money earning, or what? What are we talking no, about? No, he was just he was just so polished for his age. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started treeing coons real early, six months old. He was treeing coons by himself, and at ten months old, I put him in his first PKC cast. He treed two coons off to himself, away from dogs, against good dogs, against older dogs, and he was just the kind of dog that didn't make many mistakes. You know, he, he didn't say a lot on the ground, or he wasn't a high-end strike dog or anything like that, but he never drew you any minus, was good about having his coons, uh, was always alone. Things that you look at that are usually a four- or five-year-old dog, he was doing at 10, 11 months old. Right, right. And so when I took him out to Super Stakes, you know, I got him in, I got my double cast win, and, and I couldn't advance farther than that. But, you know, it takes some breaks at that late in his game, you know, at that stage at a big hunt, and we just didn't get him, but... He, actually, the the dog that ended up winning the Super Stakes in his division that year, I beat on Tuesday night like a drum. I mean, she ended up getting later and getting in later and winning the whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he was just he was dynamite. But we can't, you know, it's hard to get one to stay that way, right? Especially running them up and down the road. Yeah, especially at that age as well yeah you know that yeah. you're right i i couldn't agree more when you're hunting pkc you can hunt six nights a week and oh, if yeah. you're if you're running for a truck ticket running yeah. a national race or or you know you're gonna you're gonna do it and you can put a yeah. lot of pressure on a dog and a young it dog is a lot of pressure a young it's hard especially it's hard on an old dog but it's especially mm-hmm. hard on a young dog yeah, I've, and that's why I have I got such respect for dogs like Meltdown and uh, Ruby and and these dogs that are eight or nine years old and been hauled up the road all their life and they're still winning. I mean, it just it blows my mind. Well, Meltdown's not winning that. anymore. Well, no, no, but he did. He won. He won. <laughs> he, you know, late in his won, career, he just he, he just won a little winning, bit, didn't you know? he? He did. He did. <laughs> what was his lifetime earnings? You remember two? I believe it's around two hundred thousand. Yeah. I know Ruby 000. is real close, real real close to him right now. I think she's at one ninety five or something like that. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. She's kind of kind of getting closer to him. So, well, we started off having a little bit of a, you know, back and forth there about walkers. But the one mm. thing walker breeders have done, and I think it's because because of PKC and competition hunting is they've capitalized on it. The Walker breed overall has, has bred for the traits that it takes to win. You bet. And they haven't let um, 
kennel blindness or anything else, it, for the most part, they haven't let that get in their way. Now, there's some walker breeders who are real mad at you guys for doing that. But yep. as a rule, as a rule, you know, when it comes to competition coon hunting, the walker breeders have capitalized on it. They've, they've looked at the scorecards, they know what it takes to win, and then they've bred for those traits. You bet. And it's just, we we didn't let things, you know, I, I've seen one saying that, you know, we're worried about the, what's between their ears and not the length of their ears and, and things like that. We just, and on the back side of that, you're also running into dogs that have some traits that, that we're not fond of now. You know, yeah, they'll win, but they bark too much on the ground or they chop on the ground or they... You know, their feet are poor, their legs are poor, uh, there's mm-hmm. some health issues, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's it's six of one, half of them does the other. Yeah, they're they're easier to win with, but, you know, we, we need to kind of double back and, and start breeding some other things into the dogs. You, you know, almost said circle back, didn't you? Stuff like that. Yeah. You, you almost said circle back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. We don't want to go there. Um, yeah. So, circle you're talking about a dog that can take the hauling mm-hmm. can fit a scorecard. And yep. I mean, that's what a PKC hunter is all about is about those late rounds and those final, those final casts, you know, getting right. that, that final four so that you can get a paycheck. And that's, that's what the Walker breed has done. They've, they've, they've hats off to them. They've, they've done, you guys have done an outstanding job because if you look at if you look at the hunt results and you look at the winners' pictures, mm-hmm. man, there's a lot of tricolor dogs standing there, non there uh, consistently. There is, and you know, still, and I've told people this quite a bit. The only perfect two hours I ever seen out of a dog was big country. That was I. I was lucky enough to Which, guide him in a sixty five hundred dollar hunt here. Uh, Strickland was handling him, okay. and he he drew three really good dogs. Well, he drew Super Stakes Champion and Bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Moody was hunting Moby Jr., a dog that's done a lot of winning, and uh, Logan Ray was hunting the Ruger dog. And those dogs all treat two coons apiece, too. And uh, Country just put on an absolute coon treat clinic. I mean, that's when we decided to breed Bella to him, and that's you know that was the most well-rounded two-hour cast I've ever seen out of a dog. Yeah. He could do amazing stuff. There's, yeah. and he he still can. He's just, uh, yeah. he's just more valuable doing what he's doing right now than running yeah, up and down the bet. road with him. So yeah, he's got some good guys behind him too. I like John and Ashley. They're they're really good guys, and they're, yep. they're going to do what's best for him. So yeah, yeah. So uh, tell us about this YouTube channel. I want that's that's why we're on here. Yeah, one, one of the reasons we're on here, Josh. I mean, I I can't tell you. Um, as a hound hunting community, whether you're a, whether you're turning a dog loose six nights a week for competition hunting, or you're turning them loose on a lion track in the Rocky mountains or the desert, you know, the, the more positive voices that we can get out there that showcase who we are and what we do in a, in a way that is is beneficial for all of us is extremely important right now. And 
you're doing that. You're doing that with your YouTube channel. You're you're giving the the non-hunting public or maybe the hunting public that doesn't understand hound hunting. You're giving them uh, perspective on what houndsmen are and what they're mm-hmm. all about. And that's what really drew my attention to you, Josh. So tell us about that YouTube channel, and tell us what you're trying to accomplish there. Well, you know, at first it was just you know lighthearted banner uh, and i i think i may have mentioned in the very first episode that we did that you know hound hunting is kind of in the darkness at times and we're trying to bring it to the light but i mean it it started you know just for fun just just for kicks uh you know my job dictates to the point where in the winter time you know i don't have to work uh we have a construction business you know and I'm busy in the summer, fall, spring, you know, when the weather's nice. But when the weather gets bad here in North Missouri, you know, we get we get some time off. And so I had time on my hands, and I thought, you know, maybe we'd just start filming a few hunts here and there. Uh, Zane, my neighbor and a guy that owns part of the dogs with me, uh, was in those first few episodes too, and he helped a lot. But, I mean, at first it started as just lighthearted uh you know, comical. I think the first episode we got the, the the hunting buggy stuck, and we had to call the neighbors come pull us out, and you know it was kind of a fiasco, but it was fun. Yeah. And then it, it just kind of evolved. You know, now that we have a voice and we have some subscribers and we have some viewers and stuff, that you know we're trying to get a few things out there. And I just I agree with you, Chris, in that you know it's important to show these people, uh, hunters and non-hunters alike uh especially non hound hunters that uh you know there's we're just we're just folks you know we just enjoy our dogs we enjoy our sport and uh you know some of these guys especially some of the ones that we've been featuring on the YouTube channel are, are just really good dudes that are just enjoying what they do you know it's mm-hmm. not it's not uh a bunch of backwards hillbillies you know living in a trailer park and you know got a piece of straw in their mouth and a and a funny hat and running around and a mullet dogs. Oh, yeah and a mullet i wish Some i could have do. a mullet and you know we there's people like that and we like them too yeah. you know we don't want to we don't want to leave them out they're just they're houndsmen just like us and you know so we just try to be inclusive but you know there's a lot of good guys and, and a lot of good representatives of the sport and we're just kind of try to highlight some of that you know yeah and every every outdoor hunting community has the the people that you just described so it's um it's um not it's i'm trying to search for the right right narrative here hound hunters are no different than any other hunting group correct you know correct. we're passionate about what we do we are uh very meticulous about our equipment we're we're meticulous about the way we care for our hounds houndsmen are no different and and what we're trying to do with the podcast and what i see you doing with big show production is trying to bridge that gap you bet between the guy that's that's a duck hunter the guy that's a deer hunter the guy that's you know whatever whatever you're trying to tear down those walls and those barriers you bet I mean, it's the 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 deer hunters and the houndsmen and and the bird hunters and the and the rabbit hunters and everything. You know, we, we get at each other's throat, and even inside our own communities. 
you know, you'll have uh, all the pleasure hunters don't like the competition hunters, or the competition hunters don't like the height hunters, or, you know, it's just so ridiculous, and and it's frustrating, and we don't like seeing it, because we're all in the same boat together, you know, we're in it with the deer hunters, you know, yeah, we, we may bicker, and we may not see eye to eye all the time, but, you know, there's common ground there, you know, we're all sportsmen, and we just need to find it. Agreed, and and that's one of the things that um, you think we you think we pigeonhole ourselves at times within the hunting community when we label ourselves. I do, I do, and I and I think today, well, when you look at uh, social media and things like that, is that we tend to bury ourselves into groups with the like mind. You know, uh, I'm going to surround myself with competition hunters because that's what I am, or. I'm a hardcore bow hunter, so I'm going to surround myself with bow hunters. And it's so much easier to do today uh, mm-hmm. with social media that we just, we don't, nobody's reaching out. You know, that they're just staying in their cliques, they're staying in their groups, and, and nobody's, you know, getting outside that. I mean, we there's Facebook algorithms that make sure that when you're online that you're only seeing things that you want to see, you know, or that you're interested in, you know. So I just think it's important for us to branch out so much more than we have and and when we start to break down some of those barriers is when we're going to start <clears throat> excuse me is when we're going to start making progress you bet and um it just seems like you've got your finger on the pulse of all that josh it's like you mm-hmm. you have observed that you've seen it and now you're using your platform to try to address that. So I yeah. really, I applaud you for it. Well, thank you. I mean, that's, we're, we're trying to do it. Now I'm in a, a lucky situation in that, you know, I waterfowl hunt. I enjoy waterfowl hunt. Big Show Game Calls actually started, you know, because I wanted to make duck calls. I've always, I've had coon hounds for 35 of my 40 years. But, uh, you know, I, I venture out into other sports. I, I used to deer hunt pretty hard we had an archery shop at one time yeah and so you know my my family we live in a real outfitter you know heavy area right here on the iowa line i was going to Uh, talk about that yeah 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 some of our family's outfitters you know for deer hunters and things like that and so i think i've just been lucky enough to be exposed to you know a lot of different things yeah there's probably not any other area in the united states or definitely in the midwest that is more focused on whitetail deer hunting than you're in the hotbed right there. Oh yes. And definitely. then the only other place that I know of that can compare to where you're at would be down south of San Antonio in that Golden Triangle area of South Texas, yeah. South Central Texas. I did I did a job down there in South Texas and and they can have it. <laughs> 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 they can have all that beautiful yeah. golf courses and uh that's about it. We were in we were in Kingsville, but I mean, I could go on forever about that. I'm sure nobody wants to listen to it, but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a whitetail, uh, you know, oriented place down there and up here. I mean, we're we're right on the Iowa border. Uh, these outfitters cater to guys, you know, that try to draw for Iowa, and if they don't get drawn for Iowa, they can put them right on the border, you know, and hunt the same deer mm-hmm. over the counter. So. You know, there's a lot of outfitting going on. There's a lot of land that's leased, uh, a lot of little small parcels, you know, 80 acres here, 100 acres there that are, are leased just solely for deer hunting. So, you know, it's it's common. And so so what you're seeing out there is a lot of this farm ground getting leased up by, by these outfitters that are 
capitalizing on that Iowa deer. Right. Interesting. Actually, the lar- the largest landowner in our county is nothing but an outfitter. Really? Yes, and we uh, and then we he leases on. he leases back probably to ag ag to farmers. They then, right? they farm they farm as well. They do have okay. their own farming equipment as well, but it's strictly uh, most of their incomes through outfitting. What what would a deer hunt cost? And a fully outfitted deer hunt cost there where you're at average price? Uh, anywhere from for for a three day hunt anywhere from fifteen hundred to four thousand, depending on who's doing it. Uh, the level of the outfit here, as far as the the lodging and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we're talking big money. We're talking. Yeah, know. I mean it's not cheap to come right. up here, and we got big deer. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can. You know, walk right in behind my house, and there's been, you know, 160, 170 inch deer killed every year back there. I mean, it's just. You're going to be getting calls now. It's good deer hunting. What's that? I said you're going to be in the outfit, outfitting business now. You'll nah, be able- yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I got time for that. I, I'm busy enough the way it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and like we were talking earlier, you know, I'm familiar with that general area. Where, are you east or west of like Scotland County? Uh, I would be north of Scotland. North of Scotland. Okay. Okay. North and west, yeah. Yep. You know, that that area right there is probably, it is. It's my favorite place that I've ever turned a hound loose to coon Yeah, it's fantastic coon And just the, it's not overpopulated. It's still a lot of ag. Um, You know, it's just a beautiful rolling hills area with a lot of coon that is a great place to hunt and you guys you guys are living it but so that's it's describe describe the area that that you live in are you mainly ag are you mainly forested or it's it's 50 50. okay Uh, our large our large tracks of timber um are going to run two or three hundred acres you know that's a big tract of timber here Mm -hmm. and uh most of it is agriculture. Uh, there's a lot of pasture ground. There's a lot of all the bottoms are planted in corn or beans, of course. And uh, we're, you know, you get south of us a little ways. You know, you run in south I-70, you run into the larger tracts of timber. But up here, it's a little more open. And we've yeah. got good brush and good timber in places. But you know, it's more open than what people think of when they think of Missouri usually. Yeah. But it's uh, rolling hills. Uh, nothing too steep. Uh, we've got. We're lucky enough that we drive to every tree, you know, almost all year round. Yeah. And, I mean, it, we have some, a lot of large landowners that have large tracts of ground, so we don't have to deal with multiple landowners in a lot of places where we turn loose. So we're really blessed as far as, I've hunted all over the country, and I can't, I've, parts of East Texas, I guess, are, are pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, I, I can't see anything better than here. I really can't. Uh, I've hunted all over. I really have for when I'm, when I'm, I've coon hunted from Georgia to Virginia to South Carolina Mm -hmm. to Missouri. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people identify Indiana with, with great coon hunting and we do have it, you know, I'm not going to, we do. I mean, there's a reason why breed associations, UKC, PKC have their major events here, You bet. but that part of, that part of Missouri is there was just something about it. I loved it. It was great. And, uh, uh, you guys, you guys have definitely got a hidden gem up there. So we do. 
Josh, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. I want to, I want to talk about, we kind of built up to this. We're not really shift. Yeah. Well, I guess we're just doing a smooth transition here. There you go. There you um, go. so we talked about the deer hunting and it is an industry. If a, if yep. a guy's making enough majority of his income off of outfitting deer hunts yep. and making more money than he's making in agriculture right now, then mm-hmm. we got to classify it as an industry. And so, so often I see comments on social media it used to be the message boards. Now it's social media that we can't get along with deer hunters and how do you do it hunting the caliber of dogs that you do in the way that you hunt in an area that is heavily populated by the deer hunting industry you would think that you guys can't even turn a hound loose up there because of the oppression of deer hunters and and i want to talk about how you do it and how you manage to stay competitive stay in the fight, in the game up there, just lay it out for me. As houndsmen, our lifestyle is under constant attack. The Houndsman XP podcast was created to give houndsmen a credible voice to maintain their rights and their freedoms to free cast their hounds on well-managed game populations. We need your support. I am asking you to go to our website at houndsmanxp.com, find the support button. It's right on the front page. Click that. It will take you to our Patreon page. We already have several dedicated houndsmen who have stepped up and said they want to be a part of this lifestyle to preserve, protect, and promote hound hunting. For as little as $1 per show, you are going to receive benefits from Houndsman XP. You're going to receive discount codes on the gear that you need that keeps you in the field, keeps those hounds on the ground, and you following your... With your Patreon support, you're going to be privy to pro tips, tailgate talks, bonus material that is not available to the public. We also offer a blog space there, a message board, where you can come and post pictures of your hunts in an uncensored environment and showcase your hounds and the work you're doing when you're out there hunting. Join us on Patreon. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click the support button, and take a stand with other dedicated houndsmen for your freedoms today. It all starts with relationships i mean we get and don't get me wrong I, I thought the same way some of these guys do when this outfitting first started getting heavy i'm going to say late 90s we really started seeing you know from 96 to 2000 we really started seeing these guys buying more ground leasing more ground uh hunters coming up from the south you know we get mm-hmm. invaded by louisiana hunters alabama and they're they're coming up here and they're leasing this land too and uh you know at first it was oh i remember farms that i had hunted you know for my whole adult life where all of a sudden everything was purple paint and no trespassing signs and i was it was depressing at first I thought, man, we're losing all this ground. Coon hunting's going to go away, and, you know, we're not going to have any place to hunt. But as we got 
farther into this, uh, we started developing some relationships, and it just takes one sometimes. You know, you get one one guy who's a, who's an outfitter or mm-hmm. or a major deer hunter or someone that leases ground, and he says, you know, you do what? And I said, well, I got you know coon dogs, and he goes, man, well, yeah, I got way too many coons. He goes, why don't you come in here and do something about it? Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon the word spreads, and and you go from there. But it just starts with being, you know respectful to what they want to do and how they want to do it and eventually they they're going to come around our way of thinking because they're going to see what we can do for them and how we do it and and things like that but it's just i know it's overwhelming at first but once we started putting ourselves out there and we started knocking on doors and we started talking to some guys here and there and it helped that we have a good hound community in this or hound culture in my community in our in our area you know there's a lot of coon hunters here Mm -hmm. and that helped a bunch and those coon hunters were good about you know not making waves as far as just turning their dogs loose wherever they felt like it and driving in you know and tearing things up and being caught on game cameras and things like that you know they were they were good and it helped us get you know just a little foothold you know 10 or 15 years ago and it's just blossomed from there i mean we've got we've got more ground to hunt that i mean there's farms that i haven't turned loose on in years where people are calling me wanting me to come come go coon hunting you know and it's just maybe it's a farm where i can't drive to every tree or maybe it's a farm that has got a neighbor on one side that maybe no don't want me in there you know so i don't hunt it or maybe it's farther away from the house when i can just turn loose in my back door you know and we've got so much land and we don't pay a dime for any of it and, yeah. and everywhere could be like that if we just, you know, stay the course. I really think that, you know, these guys are going to come around eventually all over the United States. Well, let's let's peel back the layers of this onion a little bit okay. and talk about how how you approach landowners. I want to talk about how landowners perceive so you pull up in somebody's driveway you knock on the door and you say hey i'm a coon hunter you've got a big deer lease take it from there tell us what you do first thing i tell them is man we got too many coons and then i tell them about all the damage the raccoons do to their feeders to their turkeys to their ground nesting birds to all those things Mm -hmm. and you know so you've got you've got some knowledge of wildlife management Exactly, and that that's your that's your that's the, that's what they want. You know, they're they don't want dogs traipsing all over their country, all over their all over their you know food plots and deer stands and game cameras and stuff. They don't. And they don't want coon hunters running trucks through the middle of their food no, plot either. They absolutely don't. And actually, believe it or not, that is one of the selling points when we get a new piece of ground. Is we tell them that the that the trucks you know create less havoc amongst the deer than the dogs and the people do walking around which i think is actually true i think driving to trees is probably gonna which you know just as well as i do chris we're not scaring these deer off right right you know but the the hunter doesn't know that you know they 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 just think dogs and people and uh that's my deer sanctuary and i don't want them spooked and stuff like that so actually the trucks uh help in some cases you know but you just these guys I'm trying to figure out a good way to say it. it. Once you build that relationship with the first one, he tells the second one more often than not. 
and, and the third one and the fourth one and so on down the line. I haven't knocked on many doors. You know, I haven't talked to people. You know, I'm out there in the community and everybody knows that I'm a coon hunter. And uh, the neighbors, you know, say good things. You know, he, he shuts the gates. He don't do any damage. You know, if he, if he makes a rut, he calls you and I've got equipment to come fix it, you know, stuff like that. And so, you know, it really just takes, you know, one or two, and then the word spreads, and, and usually it's a lot easier. And I've found that a lot of these guys want every coon you tree killed. They really mm-hmm. do. And I don't like doing that. Uh, Why not? You know, I'm not going to tree. Lay that, well, lay that out for people. It's that... mostly for the dogs. I mean, some dogs don't need a lot of coons. And what a lot of guys, especially non-hunters or, or hunters that are not familiar with hounds, and you know just as well as I do, it's not about actually killing the animal that we're, we're pursuing. You know, I don't get any thrill or anything out of taking a coon. It's just for the dogs. It's the only reason I do any of these hunts or any of this hunting is because is I enjoy training dogs. And so shooting multiple coons out to dogs that don't need them and stuff like that isn't always the best bet, and I don't like doing it. But, you know, I'll sacrifice sometimes and, and take more coons than I'm comfortable with just for the simple fact that that's what the landowner wants, and it is his land, and we need to obey by his rules. You definitely need to take some pictures and send them to those landowners and tell and, and, be, and brag a little bit about how many coons yes. you're taking off their property. Yes, they love it. When you're they in a situation it. like that. And, so, we, and we do have a coon problem. I mean, we have you know an, an abundance of raccoons and they need to be managed and they're they're harder on the on the ground nesting birds and things like that every year so i mean it is good wildlife management practice we're not just wiping them all out right and the, you know the thing that we all need to realize is yeah you may have a high density of coon hunters in in your area you said you've got a lot of houndsmen there but it's still mm-hmm. nowhere near if you guys hunted every night for a month and shot every raccoon you treed. We could probably, even put a tent in them. That's right. Cause, no. Because still, we don't have the, the total numbers and people out there um, hunting raccoons and coon hunters right now to, to do that. Right. I mean, it's just like sticking your finger in a bucket of water and you pull it out. You know, if there's, you know, we don't hunt next to major highways. Right, uh, we exactly. Don't, we don't, we're not going to turn loose next to railroad tracks. We're not going to turn loose in certain places that can put our dogs into harm or you know, farms that, that won't allow it. Well, those those places are surrounding these areas that we're taking these coons from, and those coons from those areas are going to come into that habitat as soon as we pull one out. So, And that's where, that's a good strong point, because I before it was deer hunters, then, then this whole conversation was surrounded by with trappers. You know, yep. all coon hunters and trappers can't get along. Well, the thing that I've always told people is, man, you trap places that I would never dream of turning a hound loose. So that is a great selling point for us as houndsmen to interact with the trapping community because a trapper is not going to walk a half mile or two miles into a section to set a coon trap. not when they can slap a dog proof right alongside of the road and get the same thing. Exactly. They're going to trap culverts. They're going to trap bridge abutments. They're going to trap all these areas where along major highways have no risk, no impact to to any of their equipment. And we're just simply not going to do that. And that has gotten me so much traction within the trapping community here in Indiana to to build relationships there too. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's an awesome point. 
Yeah, and I mean, I'm a trapper too. When coons when coons are high, and I don't trap when they're not high because I just it's not worth it to me. But when coons are high, I I put just as much steel on the ground as anybody else in the winter. And I don't trap anywhere that I coon up for the simple fact that there's too many other good places to trap where I, I don't have to you know go back in there to where i coon hunt you know right. that, that's when I'll, I'll hit the the major roads and the railroad tracks and around the big lakes and things like that you know josh how do we how do we break down these barriers what are some things that we as houndsmen should be considering when we're talking when we're talking to other hunting groups and trying to interact there we have to be super careful about how we portray ourselves you know we can't i mean i and i don't get me wrong we've all done stupid stuff when i was young maybe i turned dogs loose on ground i didn't have permission on and stuff but we have to do better about that we have to do better as far as policing our own community uh when you look at deer hunters and, and and part of the reason why they've been so successful is they do a lot better job of policing themselves than we do. Uh, when and when someone poaches a big deer, the first person that that comes out after them is deer hunters. You know, mm-hmm. and we need to have kind of that same mindset. You know, I don't want to to make any houndsmen mad or anything like that. But we also we also have to really be careful about what we do and how we do it because. We're in the forefront as far as, you know, who's under fire here. It's going to be us first. You know, we're, every we're standing, time. Yes, we're standing at the gate. You know, we have to really, really mind our P's and Q's and, you know, pay attention how we do things, how we're portrayed and things like that. And so it all starts with, you know, uh, how how you do, how you, how you are, you know, as a houndsman. I mean, if, if you do things right and you do things well and you do things you know morally then i think everything else will just come and if we do that as a community i think that's the same you know you're going to get the same benefit how much how much does personal ego play into either well how much does personal ego play into hurting us as houndsmen it, it hurts a lot. I mean, some some I, I just want to scream, you know, at the top of my lungs to open your eyes and look at the bigger picture to people you know. But that's just part of what I'm saying. You know, everybody just kind of reverts back into their own little world, and it's it's me, 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 and I'll do this. But we really got to to broaden ourselves as far as you know how we look at things. You know, the same the the lady that lives in the suburbs with her papillon on her lap don't see things the way we do. Mm-hmm. You know, and we don't. We just we have to understand that, and we have to address that. You know, I mean, we can't we can't see things through our own lens all the time. We just can't. And if we do that, it, this is never going to work. I came across a quote the other day that I. I took in and I reflected on how it can apply to the hound community. And it's pride and humility. Pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. Exactly. And when you look at, you look at our community 
and we're talking about, especially in the competition community, we're out here competing with other people all the time. We're, we are actually in a situation where we're hauling a hound up and down the road and we want to win. And so a lot of times that can cloud our judgment from everything from a judge's decision to how we portray ourselves to interacting mm-hmm. with the deer hunter to a local landowner, you know, and, and so we can, if left unchecked, we can let this, this pride about who is right really snowball and really yep. take over the conversation. But in the, at two o'clock in the morning, if you're on a piece of property, your hound is treed on a piece of property. I don't care if it's five acres on the edge of a thousand acres. If your hound is there and you have a confrontation with the landowner, you're not right. It's your, no, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. It, so <laughs> I mean, it, it's your fault. It's not the dog's fault. It's not the the landowner's fault for having five acres in the middle of the 10,000 that you hunt. It's your fault. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't like getting yelled at or screamed at, but I found, Chris, and I, we've all had those instances. I've and had them. The and I've worked. I'm trying to, yeah. I'm I've trying worked to as a conservation officer. You know, it, and it's it's going to happen to to a houndsman eventually. It just is. If you turn a hound but, loose, it's going to happen. Yes, and you know, you just you got to apologize. You know, you're it's your fault. <laughs> and uh, you know, you take your lumps, and I've had that happen twice in all my years. Which we we're lucky. We don't. You know, I've had it happen on cast. You know, when I'm not away from home, but at home, I've only had it happen twice. Mm-hmm. And both times I ended up securing that piece of property to hunt. In I want, the future. I'll share a story real quick. I was hunting a cast. It was a, um, it was an RQE. It was a world qualifying event, mm-hmm. regional qualifying event. And we were hunting in Southern Indiana and we were hunting on Hoosier national forest. We turned loose on Hoosier national. Yep. <clears throat> so the dogs get in there, do their thing. They get treed and, as we're walking down this road in the Hoosier National Forest, we could see a light on in a house, uh, just a small parcel, obviously, in the Hoosier National Forest. Yep, yep. <clears throat> walking towards some dog street, and all of a sudden, some gunshots ring out. Mm-hmm. And that is the worst feeling that a houndsman can have. Yep. So, <clears throat> now we... Now we speed up you know and we're we're running down the road we get and this was back before the days of garments so we had no idea whose property anything was on tempers were high and i was i was working as a conservation officer here i am a law enforcement officer and running into this situation where a dog has potentially been shot and my dog was the one that was treed right there and so i go up to the house and I just walk straight up to the door, and this guy is irate. I mean, irate. My first instinct is same as everyone. You better not shot my dog. If you shot my dog, this is going to be a problem. And then I just realized, and it's just from dealing with so many of these situations. So I've been on both sides of this with as the officer that's responding and as the hunter that is in this situation – as soon as I get to the porch, I hear the dog treat again. 
and I realized that this guy was just shooting up in the air to scare dogs off, but we don't yep. know that. No. At that That's point, right. at that point, I've got a guy in my cast who actually uh, had a pretty good head on his shoulders, and I told him, I said, just take all these other guys back to the road. Just take them back to the road, stand in the road. I stood there and I talked to this landowner for just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't understand coon hunting. He didn't understand yep. any of it. But by being humble and be, being, and I'm not trying to preach from my own playbook here. It's just because I've been afforded the opportunities to know how these things play out through you experience. Bet. That when I was like, sir, I understand that you didn't under, you didn't know what was going on here. And just, we don't want to be here. I apologize for this, you know, for this inconvenience at this time of night. At that point, that's the best that a houndsman can do. And, and if you, if you act that way, you don't have to, it's not, nobody's keeping score for you here until the law shows up. And then when I showed up, so say I'm responding to this situation Mm -hmm. and I meet these hunters in the road and I see what's happened here, the guys that stood there and they're like, man, my dogs retrieved where they weren't supposed to be. I've talked to this guy. He's, he's, he's being irrational. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna side with these hunters every time. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, well, yeah, these guys have handled this correctly, and this guy, maybe both sides have handled it correctly. Maybe I don't need to do anything, and that's the best situation I can be in. I've pulled yeah. in I've pulled in times where it's been like, hey, these guys can go get their dogs. The landowners at that point, he's like, I shouldn't have been shooting up in the air. I didn't know what was going on. At that point, yeah. it's, you know, you call into dispatch, situation resolved, I'll be 10-8, back on patrol, boom, down the yeah. road. Easy. But when you start yeah. when you start putting this ego into it, like, by God, I'm going to kill him. If he if he killed my dog, I'm going to come back and burn his house down. That, it, that no is way. one of the most frustrating sayings. Now, look, I've never had a dog shot or been shot at or anything while coon hunting, but if there's a landowner with a gun, that shoots my dog, the last thing I'm going to do is retaliate. Because for one, he's got a gun. <laughs> and for two, you're not helping yourself or the situation. You know, you're not. But I mean, it, Plus it's you're going to be a as, prime suspect. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like, don't get me wrong, I like my dogs. But I like freedom even more. Right. <laughs> so, right. But, uh, yeah, you just, calmer heads prevail is a saying for a reason. You know, uh, you can't lose your temper, and it, it doesn't even have to be with a landowner or anything. I mean, that's just a that's a life lesson. You know, we have to keep our cool, and we have to you know do things the the right way. I mean, this is this isn't. I feel like this isn't something that we should tell people. It's something that they should already know. You know, just if 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 your dog is on someone else's property, uh, don't give them the. Well, my dog can't read posted signs thing. I mean, the the dog shouldn't have been there. And my dogs have been on other people's property, too, and we've worked it out. And usually, you know, the calmer heads prevail, and you just can't lose your temper. So, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, definitely. You know, how much how much could be accomplished if there's a little bit of front-end work and a little bit of foresight from the houndsmen in our community? You know, just uh, like just like this situation I described about the, you know, landowner shooting at dogs this isn't the first time this guy has turned hounds loose in that area if he was guiding me on a cast he's turned hounds loose there before so 
what would it take on a Saturday afternoon to, to drive by that guy's house and say, Hey, you know, I'm Chris Powell. I'm the guy that, that hunts up the road. You probably heard my hounds tree behind your house before when people can start putting a face with that hound and they're going to be more hesitant to, they've got a dog. They don't want their dog shot. You pull up there with your hound, you get out of the truck, you know, your dog's in the box Saturday before, maybe you're going to hunt there. You go leave 40 minutes early that night while it's still daylight. You pull in, he's, he's finished mowing his grass or whatever. And you stop there and chat with him for a few minutes and show him your dog and say, Hey, I'm the guy that hunts on the national forest behind your place. He's going to be a lot less likely to, to, you know, do something irrational if he can put a face with that. You bet. And I just think that, you know, we need to do that. You're right. We need to do that legwork more often. But a lot of these people like me have grown up, grown up in a community where everybody's herd hounds. You know, uh, if I turn loose anywhere in Mercer County and my dog gets treed and someone steps out on their back deck, they're going to say, oh, that's just Josh. You know, that's his dog's treed. You know, they've heard it all their life. But mm-hmm. we have to realize that everywhere isn't like that. You guys aren't you seeing know? the influx of, of out-of-town people coming in and buying up property? We have in places, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, we've been really lucky. Uh, one of my best friends is a local mechanic here in town. He's also a coon hunter. And so uh, these guys are coming to get their rangers fixed at his place. You know, that's that's one reason, one way we, we get some ground stuff like that. So, you know, we, we explain to them what we're doing, how they're doing it. And, and we you're right, we do the legwork beforehand. Yeah. And I'm sure there's places that that – I probably should have been there, and I haven't. I've overlooked them or something like I that. I have but yeah, too. You know, I mean, we none of us are perfect, but, yeah, we, we're, we're pretty good about getting out in the community. We hold large events here, youth events and things like that, and they're right in the middle of town. And so, you know, it, it, we're exposed, you know, especially during that time of year in the fall when the deer hunters are around. So, I mean, the exposure helps a bunch. Mm-hmm. I've got, I can give you a perfect example. I got a spot that's two miles from the house here and, Mm -hmm. um, there's a backstory with this guy. This guy was, he would call me nonstop. He owned uh, 10 acres and he's got two major farms around him and people hunted the farms around him. And, uh, I would get calls when I was working and he'd be like, man, these coon hunters are driving me crazy. You got to come up here and do something, blah, blah, blah. And then it turned into a confrontation and then it turned into mm-hmm. and so i went up there and i talked to him i was like what's it going to take and he's like if you call me before you come out he said yeah. I'm, a, I'm a landowner so if you call me before i come out before you come out i'm tired of these coons tearing my stuff up and being in my garbage yeah. and eating my cat food and all this other stuff i just need to know who is here that i yeah, have the right small to, price to pay. yeah i have the right to request to know who's here yeah and so I hunted there for either on his property, and it took took 10 seconds coming out of the driveway. Before 9 o'clock, call him, say, hey, I'm on my way. I'm going to be coon hunting. Even if I was across the road or, or down the road, call him and, and bang, no problems. Well, yep. they, they sold that property. And um, I have not gone up there and talked to the people that bought it. And I... I yeah. I'm glad we're having this conversation. I need to yeah, do do my own legwork. I'm sure there's legwork I could do around the house too. Will you get comfortable? You know, I 
I'm comfortable with my neighbors and, and on my little piece of property and stuff like that. And so, you know, you sometimes you, you slack on things like that. And we just, just got to stay vigilant. Yeah, so the area you're in up there, they're in a lot of, they're in the national forest or, or public lands. It's all private owned, right? We have some small parcels of public land, you know, four or 500 acres here or there, but it's all surrounded by private. And so yeah. you're going to need permission, you know, on a lot of that stuff before you even turn loose on the public land. Same same situation we're in in a lot of eastern United States. You get west. I mean, you get out to, to the western states and well, you're looking at millions well, even of you acres. Get, even you get a few hours south of me where you get the Mark Twain Forest, which I went down and hunted this year. And, wow, that's a lot of ground. Yeah. Yep. Yep, for sure. So, especially if we're looking at upper Midwest, Midwest, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan. Yep. You know, Michigan's got a lot of public ground, but it's it's uh, checkerboarded with private and, and things right. like that. So, right. But we could all do yeah, better. We don't, we we don't have do any better. large tracts of public land here. Yeah. Not that you could precast a dog and not worry about it getting on the neighbor. Yep, that's the beauty of, of being out west. I mean, the coon hunt yeah. is not great. But <laughs> I'm telling it you, it is in places we were we were up and around the Milk River country in Montana, and you want to talk about coons? Wow, we yeah, yeah. There's a lot of coons along the Milk River. Is that east? I don't even know where the Milk River is. Where is that? I was in. I was about oh 15 miles south of Canada border, and the Milk River Valley runs along Highway Two there along the northern part of the state. It'd be about the north central part of the state. Yeah. But it was, uh, man, they had a lot of raccoons. We never did take a dog out there. We were working. But uh, there were there were a couple of coon hunters in the area. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And it looked like a Missouri river bottom. You know, big cottonwoods. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. Full of whitetails. The mule deers would be away from the valley, you know. But, yeah, that milk river bottom full of coons. Wow. Yeah, we were more western montana when i was yeah. out there working this year and should have taken a coon dog with me i mean that flathead river runs right through ag country and there would have been a lot of a yeah. lot of coons there but yeah I bet. you know the thing is you go 10 minutes and you're in downtown kalispell to the yeah. east you go 10 minutes west and you got a you got three million acres of national right. forest to run a hound on so <laughs> yeah you just don't think yeah about we went back right. out there uh, bird hunting took the upland dogs out there bird hunting that was a fantastic place where we were at yeah yeah a lot of birds too well josh tell me about big show game calls we'll shift this is a gear shift this is totally shifting <laughs> off the topic tell us about Not big smooth transition this no time. no 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 so tell me about big show game calls you got you just built a call for houndsome xp we've got a great idea on um, what we're going to do with that. It's a beautiful piece. You can check it out on our, our – you posted it on our Facebook group. Um, tell tell me, tell us about that call first. I want to hear about the call because I haven't had a conversation – I have not had a conversation with you about this particular squalor, yeah. coon squalor. Uh, that particular call there is made out of black palm, uh, and black palm is – a wood that is traditionally very, very hard to work with. Uh, it's real splintery, uh, it cracks easily and things like that when you're turning it. Uh-huh. And so uh, we take that and we get it stabilized. And when you get a piece of wood stabilized, it's put in a big vacuum chamber and it sucks uh, resin, uh, real hard plastic resin into the wood. 
and uh, it adds a lot of weight, adds a lot of durability, and makes the wood, you know, to where it won't shrink, won't swell, and and makes it to where you can work with it. And uh, we took that, and we got a custom band, a laser band that says uh, Houndsman XP on it, and has got your logo on it. It's beautiful. And uh, we, you know, we turned that out. We done it in the in our Series Two style, which is uh, the call that we're most proud of. You know, it's a Series Two custom in which we make our own reeds. Uh, we've designed our own reeds. Uh, we use a tone board style that that I came up with, uh, I think, three years ago. And uh, we put it all together, and I think it turned out pretty fantastic. It's awesome. I mean, yep. the, the pictures, yep. I can't wait to, I haven't even received this yet. Yep. Um, so I'm not going to release what we're going to do with it yet. We've got a plan, yep. and we're just going to roll that out here in a, about the time this podcast comes out, uh, yep. what we're going to do with this. But it is, I can't wait to get it in my hand. I'm. Have you blown it? Did you blow it? I have. You yes. did? I've got, it, I've got it all tuned up. It sounds fantastic. I'm I'm tempted to do it myself, but mm-hmm. like at a National Wild Turkey Federation, when they when they auction that shotgun off, that's never had yep. the action broke on it. Yeah, you know, then then it's worth more money. I don't know if it'd be worth yeah. more money if I try it and sell it. I'd it'd say probably... I, you could you could just say it was it was blown on by the legendary Chris Pyle. That ought to add <laughs> a couple just, hundred bucks. That, yeah, right. <laughs> it'd be like, man, has he been COVID swabbed? <laughs> <laughs> uh they're, they're built to use i know they're beautiful and we take a lot of pride in how we do it and and what we do with the calls but i've only built one coon squalor that i prayed never got used tell and me about that one that was a call uh it was a piece of coca bolo which is an exotic wood and is it that was just the a hardest wonderful... is that the hardest What's that? most is coca bolo is that the most dense wood on the no, it's, it's dense, and I would have to look at the numbers to see how dense. But as far as turning it, you know, it's not nearly as bad as like a an ebony or okay. an African blackwood or things like that. You know, Coca-Cola yeah. turns and finishes really nice. It really does. Okay. But it is a heavy, it is a heavy, dense wood, but it's very oily. But, uh, yeah, it was a call that we built for a... Uh, fundraiser for Mr. Steve Yant, whose daughter had come down with leukemia, and she had just been diagnosed, and we were trying to help them out. And we just went, decked this thing out. I mean, it's got, uh, it's lasered, it's got uh, brass inlays along with silver inlays, it's got antler tips. Uh, it was a piece I had probably, I don't know, 16, 17 hours in by the time I got it perfect. And so I just prayed that whoever bought it never put it on a lanyard, and thankfully I don't think they have. So yeah, yeah. So how many calls a year are you producing at Big Show Game Calls? We have production calls too, which are a molded uh, plastic call. You know, the the series two molded calls. You know, we may we probably crank out four or five hundred of those a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe more, maybe less. I don't have the exact number, and then. Uh, we have another hand turn called called the series uh, or the American series, and that call is only built from hardwoods that are grown on our property and harvested on our property and dried on our property and everything. Wow! Uh, the whole call is grown and finished, you know, right here, hmm. and that's kind of the 
kind of the niche for that call. And then uh, we have the custom calls too, which we don't do many of those a year. Uh, they're very time consuming. Uh, our list is, is pretty long. We actually just opened the books up. I think we did 49 custom calls last year. Yeah. And we open the books up usually every February uh, and for two or three weeks until we get 50 or 60 customers that say they want on the list, and then we close them. Mm-hmm. And then until we get those 50 or 60 customers done, uh, we don't we don't take any other custom orders. Yeah, because this isn't your sole business. You guys have a construction company that... Yes, we have a directional drilling business that makes actual money, and so it's kind of (laughs) a priority. And uh, during the the spring and the summer, you know, and I still coon hunt pretty hard. I try to get four or five nights in a week, even when I'm working. Uh, I love working with young dogs, and so the calls do take a back burner in in the spring and the summer and the fall when I'm working and getting dogs ready. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, we do have some people that we hire part-time in the shop to do the molded calls and things like that to keep them out the door. But uh, the custom calls, I'm the only one that, that does them. And so, you know, if I don't have the time, then they just can't get done. And so that's why we tell people whenever they get on the list, they say, look, it may be next week, it may be next year, but we'll, we'll get you eventually. Yeah. It's awesome stuff, man. So where can people find find your calls, find your squallers. Are you still produce? is it just totally coon squallers? Are you still making duck calls? I make duck calls, but we don't take any orders. Every uh-huh. now and then I'll get a wild hair. I'll sit down, I'll make a duck call or a goose call or a predator call or something like that, and then I will just put it on our Facebook page, which is at Big Show Game Calls, and I'll sell it from there. Uh, I may only do two or three duck calls a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, they're very time-consuming, and I enjoy making them. And so when I get the time, I do like doing it, but we have to take care of our squalor customers first. And, you know, that's really our, our bread and butter and our niche. And we like doing that too. So, so your production calls on the coon squalor side, Josh, Mm -hmm. is that a, is that an injective molded or is that a turned acrylic or? Yeah, no, they are injection. They are injected molded. Uh, We get those molded at a place called uh, MJ, MJ creations over in uh, Canton, Missouri. And uh, Mick Fellinger is the man that runs that, and we turn the original blank, uh, we get it lasered, and then we send it off to him to get the mold done, and then uh, he sends us the parts. We put them together, we tune them, we make our own lanyards and box them up, and out the door they go. Nice. And have you got these calls out into some of the vendors' hands, or are they just available through Big Show? We we do have some vendors. Um not near as many as we should, just for the simple fact that even even the production calls take time, so I'm I'm hesitant to take on new vendors. Uh, Red Fern Hound Supply does carry our calls, and uh, at times you'll get them from Havoc, you know, from Stephen Smith and Ryan Eady. They'll mm-hmm. they'll have the calls as well too. Okay. But uh, you know, there's others that get them. You know, when I have time to get them, some you know, Chance Lynch and some other guys like that. But as far as just a steady stream of them, and I think that's part of the reason that we we do so well with them uh, and i'm not going to lie our squalors are a lot more expensive than all the rest uh they are made different uh they're built different and so you know you're going to get a little higher price point on them but i think that's why we're able to do that is for the simple fact of their rarity all right so so we have got we've got 
listeners to this podcast who are Western houndsmen that may not understand what the use of a squalor is. We've got international yep. houndsmen. So tell us what the point of a coon hunter carrying a squalor is. What does that squalor well, do for you? It's going to make a coon look, hopefully. Uh, a lot of these guys are It's hunting, a mouth. It's know, a mouth-blown call. Yes, it is a mouth-blown call. Uh, it's, you know, every competition hunter that I know of carries one. Uh, most pleasure hunters I know carry one. And they're an important tool for the simple fact that in, in the spring and the summer and the fall of the year when the leaves are still on, your dog gets treed. Uh, you turn your red light on on your light, and you, you give a few blows on that coon squalor, and, and if they're done right, and if it's the right coon, they'll immediately look at you. Now, mm-hmm. we've went even farther than that. I mean, that, that gives you the ability to score your dog to see if he's got a coon, find a coon that you may not you know, otherwise see. But uh, we've really studied and, and done a lot of calling. You know, we call we call coons out of dens in the winter. Uh, we do a lot of things without hounds with them, too, and I've just... And a lot of guys that pleasure hunt with me, I'll drive them crazy because I blow my coon squalor at every coon. You know, I want to see how it reacts, uh, what sounds it reacts to, uh, what pitch, what volume, things like that, because they're all different. There's no different in, in calling a coon than there is a coyote or an elk mm-hmm. or a turkey or a duck. You know, certain sounds are going to trigger that certain coon. And so we just we just enjoy it. I mean, it's all research, and I get a get to chase the dogs, and then use my own product, and, and I, it's a lot of fun. Have you got a coon squalor handy? Uh, yeah, I actually got one sitting right over here on the edge of my desk. Grab one and see if maybe put the phone down and just run yep. us through a sequence. You know, you're at a big. You've got dog street. You're in a you're in a one hour cast, and you need this coon to. You need you need this coon to win that cast, and um, just kind of kind of blow a sequence there on a big show game call that's going to put you in the money. Okay, I've got in my hand a uh, custom series two, the only custom call that I've ever carried for longer than a week without selling it. But uh, <laughs> doesn't have a Houndsman XP band on it, does it? No, it does not. It does not. <laughs> this one this one's got a hedge band on it. But uh, I go through. Uh, I found a routine that's no different than a duck call routine, and I go through it on just about every tree. And what a lot of guys, you know, if I'm coming in to a tree where the hunt's over and I've got to find this coon to win a late round, I don't want to move the coon around a lot. Right. You know, I want I want the coon just to look at me, and I, I want him to, to look. I want to score him. I want to get my dog and go. Uh, if you hit him too hard, too heavy, right out out of the gate sometimes you'll get that coon to move and maybe he gets in some vines or he quits looking and you're not going to see him again yeah or you're not going to see him at all so so lay this say this let me lay this out for our listeners in in a cast like we're talking about you need the majority of the cast to be able to see the coon to score or a a non-hunting judge or a non-hunting judge but most of the time we're going to non-hunting judges so it's, yep. So you need that coon to stay there. It doesn't do any good for you to blow a squaller, see the coon, and then not be able to show it to somebody else. Right, and that's why it's always important to have that judge on my hip. You know, when I'm when I'm blowing that squaller, right. I want him right there by me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna we'll see what this sounds like over the phone. But the first sound I'm gonna give them is just a real short, uh, nice, easy, you know, a chatter. And some people can't roll their tongue and things like that. But that's not 
you know, that's not necessary to do that either. So we'll see what this sounds like. But this is the first sound I'm given when I get to a tree. Yep. And that's Sounded soft. good. Yeah, I mean, that's soft. It's, it, it's just going to maybe, hey, what's that over there? Coon's going to give you an eyeball, and then you can score them. And what sound does a coon naturally make? I mean, what? when is that raccoon going to make that sort of a sound? Usually when he's in distress, okay. when, there's something, when there's something wrong. You know, if he's getting hurt or if he's seeing something that he don't like, you know, that's the sound that he does. And, and a lot of people, and I, I, we have called coons to trees. Uh, we've done that twice in a cast, actually. And, but and put you in the money time, before the judge got there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the dog got there before the coon did, too. We had to call the coon to it. <laughs> Yep. But uh, that just lets that coon know that there's something going on over there. I need to check it out, and maybe I can find an avenue for escape because the, the coons aren't coming to protect the other coons. Yep. coons. Coons are trying to get out of there. Uh, that, that coon's getting ate by something. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here while, while whatever's eating it's busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's the first sound I give. Uh, that don't always work. And so you want to just try to get it a little heavier on it and, you know, do away with the chatter, try a real high pitch, just squall. Uh, most coon hunters have heard a coon squall, and it's going to sound pretty similar. Uh, if you haven't, you know, if you're a big game hunter or something like that, they do make a, a distress sound like that. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can get that coon fidgety to where maybe he's looking at you, but there's something in the way. You can get him fidgety and get him moving around a little bit to where you can see him. So it's going to sound a little bit more like this. just your typical distress exactly you know yep coon's gonna look at that so mm-hmm. and we can get your last that's the first 30 40 seconds and if you're getting desperate and your tree time's running down you can really hit them hard and loud and fast and then maybe you know if you're trying to get one out of a den tree or something like that sometimes this sound will work here <laughs> I mean, that's your that's your last hope. Those are the three sounds that I usually go to. You know, if uh, it don't look on the first one, the second one, or the third one, just just blow the heck out of it and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I've I've yeah. been I've been there several times. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's awesome. So run us through run us run us through a whole sequence there. All put it all okay. together. All right, this will be from the time I walk up to a tree to the time I realize that my dog probably don't have a coon. All right. it except uh those sequence will be a little longer you know right. you, you're going to keep blowing until your shine time's up or until you're satisfied you know but that's basically it
That's awesome. Everybody's always asking for more how to how to podcasts. Yep. We just yep, we bet. just hit a hit a big one right there from a, <laughs> yeah, a squalor right. manufacturer. I've I've seen everything with squalors. I've seen everything from you know guys walking in and scared to death to blow it in front of other people. Oh, yeah. I mean it's yeah. it's comical, really. I mean when you when you watch when you watch uh, competition hunters walk into a tree, some of them j- start out with just using their mouth to yeah. squall a little bit, and then yeah. or they yeah. they'll do the kissing sound. Yeah, kissing sound. Yeah, and there's no bad sound that can come out of a coon well i mean the worst that can happen is the coon don't look at you right well he's not going to look at you if you don't blow it either right so there's no bad sound that you can make it's not like uh, you're calling a turkey in and, and you have a little hiccup on your mouth calling it and it spooks him uh so yeah just pick the squalor up and don't be ashamed blow the heck out of it as long as there's noise coming out of it you got a chance of that coon looking at you that's right but uh coon hunters I mean, I've had guys pay three, four, five hundred dollars for squallers, and then carry them around their neck and never practice with them. You know, and never, never try to get better with them and stuff like that. And that's what I always try to tell our customers: is you know, just just pick it up going down the road. It's no different than a duck call or something like that. Uh, pick it up going down the road, learn how to use it, and uh, you're going to really benefit in the long run with just a little bit of practice. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I'll tell our big game houndsmen out there, because uh, photographs are such a huge thing on social media. Mm-hmm. I carry a coon squalor in my hound vest with me to every tree, whether it's a coon yep. tree, a lion tree, a bobcat tree, or a, yep. a bear tree. And I've moved bears around in trees before with a, with a squalor. Oh, yeah. I've moved some lion, got lo- those lions to look and perk their ears up yep. for that great photo. Um yep. And it's just it's just a matter of just a few notes of a distressed sound, and they're like, "What is that?" Yeah, there's no there's no wild animal on this planet that doesn't react to a stressed sound, right? right. That I know of, no yep. mammal anyway. I mean, they've heard it, and they and they it's a universal sound of distress. I mean, every every animal, especially a predator, uh, knows what that sounds like. Yeah, deer deer will even perk their ears. Up oh yeah, to it. Just, you bet look at it's like what's going on over there it's just yeah, it's yeah. something that is um uh you know prehistoric uh, hard hardwired into their dna you bet you know you bet. it's like watching the fight i mean what kid on the playground at school sees the fight break out and they don't run over to look and see what's going on that's right you know that's right i probably i probably still would <laughs> yeah absolutely you know you can't help yourself yeah tune into tiktok there's all kinds of garbage on there like that uh, that, that I'm on every social media platform, and that's where I draw the line. TikTok? I will not. I, I've told myself when it come out, I will not ever under any circumstances. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we could we could go on. I just uh, I um, <laughs> I'm ashamed to. It's like blowing the coon squaller. Sometimes I'm ashamed to do it. But uh, <laughs> so I was looking into this. this with a podcast, you're looking at every social media platform and see what you can you get out of it. I mean, or any 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 business right now, you're looking at different social media platforms. Yep. And so I did. I took the plunge. I've got an account, and um, um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I've just made fun of some of the of my friends that got it 
early, and I, I'm too proud to eat my words and do there it now. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to have to be TikTokless for the time being. Anyway. Hey, you're be- you're a better man for it, you know. I, and I'm <laughs> I, I've threatened to to delete the app and just be done with it because I I really have not seen any benefit for what I'm trying to do. Right. You know, right. but but. Man, there's people out there that are making a lot of money making really dumb videos. Yeah. yeah. So, Josh, hey, you got any? I'm gonna give you the mic. I'm gonna let okay. you. I'm gonna let you uh, editorialize. And um, what message do you want to get out there to our houndsmen on our platform? You do a great job on yours in in the uh, on your YouTube YouTube channel with Big Show Productions. So. Um, carried away, buddy. Well, you got to tell the hound hunting world. Uh, I just want to say, you know, we're, we've got to remember that, that we're all in this together. Um, we can't, you know, put ourselves in groups. You know, I, I'm a competition PKC coon hunter over here. So everybody around me doesn't do this right or doesn't do that right. Uh, we have to come together and not just as a hound hunting community, but also, you know, with the rest of the hunting world and, and, you know, hopefully even further than that, eventually, uh, these little spats between, between sportsmen do nobody any good. Uh, so my suggestion is, uh, get out, uh, get around some deer hunters, uh, get around some big game hunters that, that, and we've all seen the same things, you know, using your dog as cheating or real hunters don't do that or, I could never do that, and and we need to, you know, respond to those people in, in a caring and you know articulate way, uh, not get angry, and then we need to, you know, show show them our true selves and and what we can do and how we take care of rounds and how we take care of the sport and, and things like that. We can't. I mean, we just can't uh, respond with anger and hatred at everybody who disagrees with us forever. I mean, we just can't. Uh, so the beautiful thing about it is, uh, is we're right. You know, we, we have that on our side. Uh, hound hunting is a, is a wonderful sport. I don't care if it's bears or, or rabbits or, or raccoons or mountain lions or whatever. Uh, it's a great management tool. Uh, the people that do it, you know, love it just as much as that guy sitting in a tree stand shooting a 180-inch whitetail. And so, you know, we are right, and we just got to be careful about how we portray ourselves and how we portray ourselves on social media especially. And then we need to just get ourselves out there, you know, get out there and find a newcomer and, uh, you know, show them to the sport and, and hope, you know, eventually they come around and do the same thing. Well said. Well said. Thank you. You know, one thing, one thing that um... – we have tried to do with this platform that, that our listeners have given us is, um, you know, talk about, talk about your passion as a lifestyle, you know, Mm -hmm. sports, sports and heritage, you know, um, change. And, uh, when you, when you consider it and talk in a way and you talk about it being a lifestyle, then it is it's easier to make people understand and in our current culture you know heritage is great i don't i'm a history nut yep. um, i've read 
I, I gobble up his historical material, but heritage is under attack. It's, it's just, oh, yeah. um, and we see it and we're not going to go down that dark path on this podcast, but that can't carry us into our future. There's a lot of things no, that were historical. We got, we got to start. Yeah. We got to start doing something different. Yeah. And when we show the compassion, we show the humility, you know, not worried about being right, but doing what is right, then that reflects positively on the lifestyle that we choose to lead. And Josh, it's, I've, I've always admired the way, even among other houndsmen on social media, your responses to them, the way you handled that, I've always appreciated that. And that's why I, I really am uh, I, want to give, I want to give you some credit too, Chris. Uh, the the podcast you did with the Australian gentleman. I'm sorry, I cannot remember his name right now. If you could Alex, help me out here, Alex Christie. That was fantastic. That was great content, and uh, I think I actually contacted you right after that to say thank you because that was. I mean, everybody that's listening to this needs to go back and listen to that too because he's saying the same exact things I'm saying. He just says it better with a cooler accent. <laughs> that oh, was fantastic man. information from you and him and, and we really appreciate you know here as a content you know provider what you guys are doing too and taking up the mantle and you know kind of fighting the good fight you know when you get a chance and we really appreciate it well i i thank you for that josh and i think that's the important thing we all need to work together in this community our our Indeed. hound hunting community is it's not a deep pool so there's yeah. there's no room for tribalism. There's no re- we need to be reading, supporting publications that are talking about our lifestyle. Whether it's you know whatever that that magazine is, you, you need to subscribe to it. You need to be listening to all the podcasts that are that are portraying our lifestyle in a positive light. You need to you need to subscribe to them. You need to listen to them. Whether it's Nightlife W Us. Listen to them all, you know, and it'll help us build a narrative as a community on how to present ourselves and talk about what we do. So it's not deep enough to be tribalistic and it's not deep enough to be, you know, I hunt this type of dog. You hunt that type of dog. You're right. I'm wrong. It's completely agree. Days are over. Days are over. We got to bridge. We got to stand in the gap and figure out how to how to tear down the walls and we got to take others into the fold you know these guys that are turning an, an english setter loose out in kansas are no different than you know a guy turning a deer dog loose in virginia you know they love their dogs they love the sport and and we're a lot closer to them than than we think yeah you know we're a lot closer to them than they think too so even the even the blood trailing you know the blood yep, trailing dog you bet. community anything i mean these yeah. guys that are that have stock dogs that right you know, that are running agility trials and stuff. You know, we all just like working with dogs. You know, it's the same. It's the same people. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, I guess we could just say be like water. Bruce Lee, be like water. That's right. You know, you you come to a rock, you can go over it, you can go around it, you can go under it, but be like water and let's just uh, move, move downstream together. Yep. You bet. Well, Josh, if you haven't got anything else, man, you know how we you know how we close this podcast out every week. How's that? The final the final word the final word on the podcast. 
Mm-hmm. You follow your hounds, I'll follow mine. Indeed. Thank you, Chris. You bet.